My name is Richard. Uh, I'm very conscious that uh, although Jack and I have been back for three weeks, uh, school started up this week, and maybe some of you have uh, just started your year in church, and you've joined in the last three months, and you have no idea who we are. Uh, we have the privilege of uh, being one of the pastors here, and, uh, but also just leading the team that, uh, that shepherds us and pastors us. And so it's just a great joy to be here, to be uh, on stage, to be able to open up the scriptures to us as we continue to go on this journey. And so um, I'm going to start with a story. Two steamboats. Okay, some of us might remember traveling on them. Uh, others of us, we have to go into our imagination and try and figure out what a steamboat is. But uh, effectively, it's this uh, vehicle that goes on water uh, that is generated by burning stuff and creating steam and that powers you forward, all right? And so there were two steamboats uh, on the Mississippi River uh, going to New Orleans. And uh, uh, they came across each other, and they both had cargo with them uh, for sale into New Orleans. And as is the, the male ego, uh, the two captains started to just increase the speed of their boats as they started to want to get there first. And so as only can happen in broken humanity and in our male egos, a race ensued. And... Uh, it was all going very well for a little while, and then one started to drop off quite a bit, and uh, they realized that they did not have enough to burn to create the steam to keep up at that speed. And as they were dropping back, the captain said, this is no good, and decided to start burning the cargo to create and generate the steam. And so as they were throwing in the cargo, he picked up speed again and ended up beating the other boat into New Orleans. But by the time he got there, he had none of his cargo with him, the purpose of the trip. I wonder how many of us are like those steamboat drivers that uh, are burning up our cargo as we go on this destination in order to try and keep up with other people, in order to try and make it to the destination ahead of someone else, but not truly understanding the value of what we're doing on the journey. And we're busy burning up our marriages. We're busy burning up our children. We're busy burning up the way we steward our wealth. We're busy burning up our relationships. And one day we'll get to stand there and say, hey, I got there. And people will say, well, what do you have to offer? And all we've got is a burnt out life with nothing to show for it. As we have started 2023, we have just come and tried to find something more of the pace of Jesus. We've tried to find what it is to live wisely in 2023. What does it look like to steward a life that we can move along at a pace that is both sustainable, but also as we go on this journey, we have cargo to offer. We have healthy marriages to offer those that are maybe struggling in their marriage. We have healthy children to offer to those that are maybe not getting it right in their parenting and child relationship. We have a model of relationships and friendships that is working to be able to offer those that don't. We have a model in terms of how we're handling our finances and living within our means to offer those that are burning up at a rapid rate. What does it look like? And so we decided that we'll do a couple of weeks just looking at the wisdom books. And so the Bible is a collection of writings, and these writings do a whole bunch of things. We can't read every book of the Bible with the same perspective or the same lens. It all points to Jesus, absolutely, but they're written for different purposes. 
so some are just a narrative and historical story. Uh, some is poetry. Uh, and so we read those words, not necessarily as literal, but they give us pictures of what life can be. But there are three books which are designated as wisdom literature. And that is the Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. And uh, these three books are written that actually we've got to read them collectively, not just on their own. And so when we read Proverbs, it's actually this, this kind of like this sharp young intellect who has a whole lot of statements that make sense of life. Then we have Ecclesiastes, who's kind of like the middle-aged critic. Uh, you start to get a bit wearisome, and you've learned a few things along the way, but you haven't yet lived your full life, and that's Ecclesiastes. And that's what we looked at last week, and I encourage you that if you missed last week, please do listen to the message so that you can listen collectively to what we're saying over the four weeks of this wisdom series. And then Job, which we haven't got to, is kind of the old-aged, weathered man who has seen some stuff in his day and just has some sage advice. And when we read these all together, there is wisdom for how we can live today so we don't get caught up in this race, busy burning through the things of value as we go on the journey. And so uh, last week, I'll just give us a one-minute recap so we pull it in and kind of have it in our minds. I don't want you to necessarily in this message uh, be ruminating on that, but uh, I'm conscious that there were some people in the, that weren't in this room last week. Uh, and so Ecclesiastes uh, just has this, uh, this perspective, uh, and the main perspective of Ecclesiastes that the author is trying to, or the teacher is trying to bring across is this, that time, all of us are subject to it, and nothing really changes. We can climb on a mountain today, tomorrow we're off the mountain, and in a hundred years' time, people are still talking about the mountain, not the fact that you climbed on that mountain. The mountain doesn't even remember you. With time, nothing really changes. You will be forgotten. I'm sorry, as will I, as we have forgotten those that have gone before us. And secondly, death is the great equalizer. Death comes to everybody, rich and poor, educated, uneducated, black, white, Indian, whatever else. Death is the great equalizer. And so when we have that perspective on life, there's a way that we're able to live because our desire is that if we accept what the author describes as, or the word is hevel, it's, it's the smoke. So we can see it. We can see life. I can see, if I spend time with you, I can see the life that you're living, but when we try to grasp control of it, it just slips through our fingers. It's like smoke. We can see it, but we can't take hold of it. And that's what the teacher is trying to get across in Ecclesiastes, is that life, he's, remember, the middle-aged critic. He's kind of like, I've been trying to build wealth. I've been trying to build this. I've been, I've been saying no to every pleasure. I've been saying yes to every pleasure. I've tried everything. But actually, there's no substance to any of that. I can't grab it. So if we are prepared to accept the hevel, the smoke of our life, then we are free to enjoy it as we actually experience it and not as we think it should be. And so we said three things last week that Ecclesiastes, the wisdom of Ecclesiastes taught us is that we should live life joyfully. We should accept that our control is limited and that we should choose to be a person of substance rather than image alone. That was last week. I encourage you to remind yourself of that. But this week, we're going to see what Proverbs has to teach us, and I'm splitting this over two, and so we've got some for today, some for next Sunday. Uh, I've got to have something to keep you coming back. Uh, but the Word of God and Jesus should be strong enough. But um, we're going to look into Proverbs. And we're going to start with Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. It says this. This is the introduction, which gives us a bit of a context for what we're reading and how we can gain wisdom for today. 
The Proverbs of Solomon, son of God, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, for doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and the riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so the invitation today is that we would take hold of uh, the Proverbs as we go through a couple of them, something of the overview of what the book is, and then into a, a couple of individual statements and sayings. The invitation is we can be wise if we take heed and learn from what the Spirit of God has allowed to be in this collection of writings, or we can be foolish and just disregard them. Uh, I, I really want to invite you into that story to gain wisdom uh, so that we can live by wisdom. Uh, and so Proverbs is this, uh, in, in these first couple of verses, uh, there's this three categories of people. And so we read it all through the Proverbs. There are these three categories of people. There's number one, those who are moving toward the Lord, and they're called wise. There are those who are moving away from the Lord, and they are called foolish. And there are those who are not moving at all with respect to the Lord, and they are called simple. And so there's the wise, the foolish, and the simple. And again, the, the encouragement and the invitation as we read this is that the Spirit of God is saying, would you come on the journey of being wise? Not foolish, moving away from the Lord, and not simple, just not moving at all. Would you come on this journey to wisdom? Because the wisdom of the Lord is what gives us strength, what gives us life, what gives us vitality, which teaches us how to live in a broken and crooked world. All of us desire peace. We are able to attain peace when we live by the wisdom of the Lord, regardless of our external circumstances and what is pressing on around us. And so Proverbs is this book. I'm going to just take two minutes to give us a bit of an overview and an outline, and then we're going to get into a couple of things. But Proverbs is this young, brilliant teacher that's been able to put words to, uh, to deep concepts into sayings and phrases that we're able to remember uh, many of you that have read the Proverbs and maybe you've been doing it for years, uh, you may live by some of them and be able to recount them like this. Uh, I encourage you, uh, whether you are new to the Bible or you've been reading it for many years, to put to memory some of the Proverbs because uh, God has, again, orchestrated these catchy phrases that are so good to live by. But this brilliant young teacher who is called Lady Wisdom, she is able to teach on all subjects, of our sexuality, of our relationships, of our marriage, of our parenting, of our wealth, of our character. And so everything is in there. Proverbs has everything in it in terms of uh, wisdom for how we should live. Proverbs is able to see things that most people can't see. There's this word uh, that describes, or the word for wisdom, uh, and forgive me if any of you are scholars, language scholars, but uh, I think it's pronounced kuchma, which is fine, but it's, it's wisdom, and it's an attribute of God, and it's woven into all of creation. And so what it means is, there is a way that is wise that you cannot bend or manipulate. It is in the DNA of creation. And so it's this moral law that exists 
We can fight it all we like. We are not going to win because we are not the creator. And so wisdom is in the DNA of everything that is because it's been created by God. And so we can move with the wisdom of the Lord or we can move against it and be foolish, but you're not going to change it. We again need to surrender to it. So Ecclesiastes' invitation was, can we surrender that not everything's in our control? And Proverbs, again, the essence of it is this, is can we surrender to the moral law that God has put into all of creation so that we are able to move with wisdom as opposed to coming up with our own But also in this Jewish thought, kuchma isn't just some impersonal force. It is an attribute of God. And therefore, for us to know this law, this morality, is not just something that we can come up with in our human minds. It's about surrendering to God. Because it is a personable force, not an impersonable force. It is from our Creator. And therefore, the only way we can truly know wisdom is to know God. And so the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. So this is just something of an outline. And, and so what we, what we get is the first nine chapters of Proverbs is this father who's experienced life. And he's giving his son a series of ten speeches, which we're not going to go into. You can just read it and understand it from that lens. But chapters one to nine is just a father giving his son wisdom. And then uh, chapters 30 and 31 is a mother giving her son wisdom. And so Proverbs is bookended by a father giving son wisdom and a mother giving son wisdom. And then we read chapters 10 to 29, which is all of these sayings. And it kind of makes sense in this, that actually what we are today when we come before the Proverbs, we are to come with a childlike disposition, being able to learn from a father and a mother, being able to learn from those that have gone before us, being able to learn from those that have greater wisdom and experience of what it is to truly live life. And so I am asking and inviting all of you that are slightly older, who are parents and grandparents and are used to taking the position of father and mother, to remember what it was like to be a child and to put ourselves, if we want to truly learn wisdom from the Scriptures today, we have to position ourselves as children before a father and a mother and be able to learn. I know that that is a very foreign concept in today's culture. Proverbs has this outcome when we read collectively all the Proverbs. And so as Ecclesiastes had an outcome, so Proverbs does, and it's this. Wisdom and fear of the Lord lead to virtue, which is righteousness, integrity, and generosity. And that leads to success and peace. But folly and evil lead to selfishness and pride, which leads to ruin and shame. And so again, this teacher, this, this lady wisdom is inviting us to say, there are two options before you. We can follow the words of the wise. We can, become, we can, we can surrender to knowing God and the fear of the Lord. And what will happen is our lives will become more virtuous, more righteous. They'll become more integrous. They'll become more generous. And that will lead to peace and success. Or we can reject these words, not listen to them, not build our lives upon them, which will lead to increased selfishness and evil, which will lead to ruin and shame. The choices before us today as a community on a journey with Jesus.
what are we going to choose? So let me just start into these three things. I, I, I'm, I'm conscious that I'm going to be going through some of these proverbs, and uh, it, can be, uh, it can run the risk of being a bit like a lecture, uh, which is not my heart. And next week, we're going to have far more story, and we know that the human mind learns through story. Uh, and so uh, please, I know we're not in next Sunday yet, but if we can take this as a collective of proverbs for today and next Sunday, uh, that will... I will do better justice with the two of them together than this one on its own as we go through it. But the first thing we're going to look at is just virtue or righteousness. And uh, a definition for that is just behavior showing high moral standards. High moral standards. So Proverbs teaches us what it is to be a virtuous person. Proverbs teaches us that when we surrender to the Lord, to the Creator, and to the morality that has been put in by our Creator into the universe, into all of creation, if we're able to surrender to that, we will become more righteous. And as we become more righteous, success and peace is what will follow in our lives. And we're starting with virtue because actually it's the very first thing that happened at the creation account where all things got broken. Because the invitation from our Father and our Creator was this to the first humans, to Adam and Eve, uh, as we name them. The, the, the invitation was this, will you walk with me? You're created in my image. But just don't go and eat from that tree of good and evil. Like, I, I am the determinant of what is good and evil, the Father said. Not I as in Richard. I as in the Father know what is good and evil. And so will you choose to walk with me? And then the story goes, they, get, they, they want to take that power for themselves. They want to define what is good and evil. And we know that, that now we, we fast forward however many thousand years, and we live with this terrible state of within our own hearts and minds, we are conflicted between God's morality and our morality. And if we're honest with ourselves, we choose our morality far more often than we choose God's morality. And our morality, uh, uh, sin, uh, I think sometimes we, we don't like the word sin because it, uh, we've built it up to mean something like this big monster. S sin is just, in, in essence, is this. It's missing the mark of God. It's missing the way that God would choose us to live. And so whether we do it by consciously doing something in rebellion to Him or actually just omitting to do something that would be helpful, we're still in sin. And sin leads to brokenness and crookedness. And what Jesus comes to do is to make the crooked straight. And so our lives can be straight from the crookedness. It can be straight from the immorality. We are able to increasingly, the more we choose for something, the more we become that something. And so the more we choose God's morality, the more we choose to surrender, the more we become virtuous, the more we become righteousness, Christ forming in us many of the Scripture writers would say. And so our goal is that Christ would be formed in us. So when people look at us, they see the way of Jesus. They see something of the life of Jesus in us, and so that they too can find that their crookedness can be straightened, and they can find the way, the truth, and the life who we know to be Jesus. And so this is what is taking place here. It was the very battle in the garden. It was is what our enemy, what Satan was able to do was to twist that thing because he knew that if he could get us to define morality, we would forever be broken and crooked and cut off from God. And Jesus 
and the Spirit of God have been working since that day with the Father to allow us to come into an upright relationship again, which is what is on offer to us. And so righteousness is not just what you do. It's about who you are, and it is lived out in our relationships. And so righteousness does a few things, as we read in the Proverbs. It accomplishes a few things. And so number one, righteousness delivers from death. It delivers from death. We've got to understand that our lives covered in sin, our lives bent to sin, our lives not free uh, before we've come to Jesus, not free from sin, is led to death. That is what our life looks like. Everything we do is around our own morality. It's around our own decision-making. It's around our own brokenness. And we wonder why we can't find peace in life. Righteousness delivers us from death. Proverbs 10 verses 2 and 3 says this, Treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but He thwarts the craving of the wicked. And so righteousness, righteousness delivers us from death. Number two, righteousness is blessedness. I, this is not a word that we use very often uh, in our language today, being blessed. I, I know blessed, we, we can kind of go bless you, bless you, bless you. But this is living under the Father's blessing, a, a blessedness from heaven. It is fundamentally different to when we in our brokenness try to bless people. And so again, surrendering to God and His ways, what happens when we, we do that and we grow in our virtue, we grow in our righteousness, when Christ is formed in us, we grow in living under the favor of our Father, the blessing of our Father. I mean, who knows, just on a very simple basis, those of us that are privileged enough to have children, we know that it is far easier for us to bless our kids when they are obedient than when they are not. And I know that I cannot put our Father in heaven in the same manner as us because all of our own, in, our own brokenness and wickedness comes into those relationships. But likewise, there is something of us being in His image. There is something by the Spirit of God that allows us to model something of what it is to be a father. And so it is when we gain wisdom. Proverbs 10, 11, and 12 says this, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain. Oh, wait, I've, gone, I've gone too far, sorry. Proverbs 10, verses 6 and 7. Blessings are on the head of the righteous, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. The memory of the righteous is a blessing, but the name of the wicked will rot. John and I have the privilege and the pain of doing many memorial services or funerals. And it is an incredible privilege when the person for whom we are doing the memorial has lived under the blessing of the Father, our Heavenly Father's hand. The memory is so much easier to speak about and to celebrate and to do those things. And then we have the pain of those that have not come to know Jesus and the and the the dysfunction often that that has resulted in in family relationships and coming up into the memorial and we sitting with the families. Those can be very, very testy and difficult times as we, we hear stories of unloving fathers and mothers and siblings and, and the complications that go with that. And this is what Proverbs is saying. Blessings are on the head of the righteous, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. 
The memory of the righteous is a blessing, but the name of the wicked will rot. And so Proverbs, again, is, is just saying that what, what is the moral law that's out there in the DNA of all creation? It's just telling you what will be. We are invited to live in a particular way so as to whether we choose to be wise or simple or foolish. Number three, righteousness gives life. Proverbs 10, 11, and 12 says this, The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. And so what we have with righteousness, with this thing, virtue, it's this being able to make decisions in Christ-likeness as Christ is formed in us, is this, that righteousness uh, delivers us from death, righteousness gives us blessing, and righteousness gives us life. And so not only are we free, are we delivered from death, and, and therefore just kind of like in survival mode, free from death, it also teaches us how to live a blessed life and how to live life itself. This is the invitation, again, of the wisdom of Proverbs. And so how do we become righteous? Well, we know there is this one called Jesus Christ. As the Jewish, uh, the, 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 the Israelites would knew that they knew their God, and so the attribute of wisdom is personable. It's found in a person. It's not just something that you can read in a book. It's coming to know this God. And so how do we gain this wisdom? How do we become righteous? Well, it's in being able to give our lives to Jesus. And then by His Spirit, then Christ is able, Jesus is able to be formed in us. And day by day, we're able to make more and more decisions which are wise, more and more decisions which lead to righteousness. And that becomes increasingly our habit. Ideas become thoughts, and thoughts become actions, and actions become behavior, and behavior becomes character. But if we're not sitting, giving thought, and allowing the ideas of Proverbs to form within our minds, if we're never allowing them to take root, if you only hear them from me this morning and don't go home and allow that and sit on that and allow the Spirit of God to take that word and plant it in you, the likelihood is the idea will never develop into a thought and therefore the thought into an action and the action into behavior and behavior into character. It takes time. The pace of Jesus is a lot slower. It's a lot slower. It's not burning through our marriages, burning through our kids, burning through our relationships, burning through our workplaces. If we want to know the pace of love, it's a lot slower than we're living. Let's look at integrity. Remember, we started with the, that overview of Proverbs, and it's, it says this, that wisdom and the fear of the Lord leads to righteousness. It leads to integrity. It leads to generosity. And that leads to success and peace. And so let's look at the second element, integrity. Just define like this, the quality of being honest with strong moral principles, as well as the state of being whole and undivided. Honestly, as a pastor, I think one of the things that I see the most, so it can have different surface expressions, but at the bottom of many of the challenges of us sitting in this room and those outside this room is this, that we have divided hearts. 
we don't know what it is to be congruent. We don't know what it is for our hearts and our mouths and our actions to all be aligned. And Paul says these words, uh, again, I, I say this so often from the pulpit because I, I say them so often. That which I want to, I'm crying out to God, that which I want to do, I don't do, and that what I don't want to do, I do. Why? Because we are human and broken, and we're trusting in this incredible Redeemer, Jesus Christ, to straighten out our crookedness. And it's only in Him there is the way, the truth, and the life. And so integrity is being able to live whole and undivided. So much of our stress and our buckled overness, which even represents itself in our physical, you can see when people are bent over under the weight of crookedness. We know it, we can see it under the weight of sin. Integrity is being able to stand up where our hearts, our mouths, our actions are all in line. And so a couple of things just out of integrity, we see this. Integrity guides, but perversity destroys. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 9, whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but whoever takes crooked paths will be found out. I love this statement. We can get away with some of the things some of the time, but we can't get away with all of the things all of the time. Integrity, you know, you know what integrity does, what I have found if integrity is the disposition, if there is wholeness and undividedness, it means I can walk out of a meeting and forget what happened in the meeting, knowing that if accusation comes six months later, I know how I would have acted in that meeting. And so we get to walk free. It's when we are not integrous, it's when our hearts and our mouths and our actions aren't aligned that we go about stressing about what did I really say? Because we have to keep account of all of these things to keep our lives sane and, and, and what we think is straight, even though to the outside observer, it's terribly crooked. And so we live under the stress of not being honest. We live under the stress of having crooked lines. We live under the stress of I acted this way in this meeting and I acted this way in this meeting. And they're two opposed ways. I acted kindly to my kids when I was here on the church property in front of people while they were watching. And as I was at home with my wife in another room, I treated my kids very differently. Not integrity. I sat in a work meeting and I had this person that I don't particularly like in front of me, but I showered them with blessing and praise. And then I go into another meeting with somebody that I trust and I slander that person. I stand and I would tell you if I'm, I'm as a financial advisor or, or something that uh, all of my financial affairs are in order. And then I come to do my tax return. And I wonder if I can just increase my vehicle allowance or if I can just manipulate something here. Because actually I don't feel like paying tax and I'd actually like some back. Integrity guides us. Perversity destroys us. Secondly, integrity is the undivided self. Proverbs 27 verse 19. As in water, face reflects face, so a man's heart 
reveals the man. Are we who we say we are? And that's the journey of walking with Jesus. And so if I can just lift the heavy off of you, all of us are not fully who we say we are. And so don't sit there under condemnation. All I'm asking you to do is walk with Jesus because he will help us become a little bit straighter and a little bit straighter and a little less crooked and a little straighter and a little bit more integrous, which will add a little bit more peace and a little bit more success and a little bit more. And we keep going and we keep going. And as we walk through life, so it gains, uh, gains greater life and traction. We should make what we say consistent with what we do and who we are. Number three, integrity creates generational impact. I don't know if you've ever given that thought, but the Proverbs writer says this in chapter 20, verse 7. The righteous man walks in his integrity and his children are blessed after him. So many of us think about uh, we, we want to leave an inheritance to our children. And that would mostly mean something of financial value. And so often what we'll do is we'll forget our integrity to create that financial base for our children. But the wisdom writer says, actually, it's our integrity that blesses our children and the next generation. And so as we walk with Jesus, as Christ is formed in us, as integrity grows in us, so our future generations are blessed. Beautiful, hey? Be a person who avoids gossip. Lewd joking, foul language, fudging tax returns, anything else that compromises integrity. Let's go on that journey together. Even when it's really hard. Even when it means owning up to our own sinfulness and wickedness and brokenness. Let's make the integrous decision. Because the beauty of a wise life and the beauty of of a community that is following Jesus, is there is mercy and there is forgiveness for sin. Love covers over a multitude of sins. So when there is sin, it is not something to hide and cover up and try to walk with a lack of integrity. Rather, we bring it forward so that there can be forgiveness and a restorative, redemptive path walked out together. This is the beauty and the genius of God and His family, that we don't have to allow it to eat us up and we die inside. We're able to confess it and bring it out and be able to live more fully in the light. Thirdly, we're nearly there. You still with me? Generosity. The quality of being kind and generous. And the quality, I love this definition. The quality of being plentiful or large. Plentiful or large. I love that. I love that. I want people, when, I, when they've left my presence, I would love them to say, Jeepers, isn't he just larger than life? Or wasn't that a plentiful time? I would love people to say that about me. I know, there's many people here that know a particular man that leads a church in Pretoria, and you would say that. It is just, he is large and plentiful, and it just keeps coming at you. And it is no surprise that he lives a life of peace and success, and, and, uh, and wherever he goes, flourishes. I think we can catch on here to something of this, what it means to be generous. Again, it's not just financial. It's being plentiful. Are we plentiful in our presence when we are living in relationship with somebody? Husband, were you plentiful with your wife this week? In every way. 
Yes, that includes sexuality. But in every way, were you plentiful? Were you plentiful with your children? Were you large with them? Were you plentiful in your work environment? Generosity is about being plentiful and large. Three things just about generosity, and then I'm going to wrap this whole thing up. Generosity is a path to blessing. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24. One person gives freely and gains even more. Another withholds unduly and comes to poverty. See, these are, these are moral laws that God has put into, into creation. And so if you are sitting there under financial pressure today, may I suggest your next act should be an act of generosity. An act of plentifulness. And let's see the moral law of God in creation come to be. We can fight it and try and change it in our own moral code, or we can surrender to it and allow the Father of heaven, through His Son Jesus and by the Spirit of God, start to work miracles. Number two, generosity is a path to refreshing. Proverbs 11 verse 25 says this, A generous person will prosper. Whoever, whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. I love this. Generosity is a path to refreshing. Who needs refreshing? Listen, after the last couple of years, all of us need refreshing. We are so privileged. I, I, I am as refreshed as I can remember ever being, and that is largely due to three-month sabbatical. I get that, and not everyone can take a three-month sabbatical. However, as I said two weeks ago, if you are able to, do it. Because there are some things that God can only do in you over time. Teach us to number our days right, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And so next week, I'm sure all of us, we, we want to number our days right. Some of us have fewer days to live than other, others. We want to number our days right. We want to live fullness of life. We want to live at peace and successful, and success by the terms of God. And so we, Proverbs is going to continue to teach us next week as we go in that. But let's live lives of virtue, integrity, and generosity.